This morning, we are continuing the series in John. Uh, Cliff asked me to go ahead and uh, continue on. And last week, as you know, we are in the end of John, chapter 18, and catching us up to where we're at. Last Sunday, Cliff covered the part where Jesus was brought before Pilate. And he, had been, and he didn't want, but what we find about Pilate is he didn't want to deal with them. He didn't want to deal with Jesus, so he told them, to judge him yourself. They replied, if we could kill him, we would. Essentially, they were saying, Rome won't let us kill him in the manner that we want, because you know, we know from other times, they seem to have no problems trying to stone him. Uh, but at this time, they wanted to make it says, clear that they want him crucified. They want him hung on the tree. And Cliff pointed out part of that is that anybody who was hung on a tree was considered cursed. And they wanted to do away with Jesus. They didn't want to have any lingering effects on from his death. And so we come to the first exchange. We came to the first exchange last week between Pilate and Jesus. He asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus' response, I am a king, but not of this world. It seems that this first exchange, the need to find a way out, began to grow within Pilate. He didn't really want to kill Jesus. He had, if he had his way, he would have let him go. It was, becomes very clear at that respect. Um, but, and the other Gospels even tell us that Pilate knew that it was because of envy that they wanted to kill Jesus. But Pilate didn't, and Pilate didn't want to do their bidding. Maybe it was his pride. He was the one in control. He was the governor. He was the one supposed to be governing the people. He was the one who had the power of life and death in his hands over who would die and who would live, so to speak, when it comes to punishment. Why should the tail be wagging the dog? I've heard the expression many times. And I, I have a feeling that with Pilate, there was a, he hated doing the Jewish leader's bidding. And I don't believe Jesus really made that much of a difference to him. He was just another Jew that he didn't really have much thought for. Sure, he could kill him for insurrection, but however, he did not want to see, he didn't see Jesus as a threat. In fact, something about Jesus gave him pause and made him want to find a way out, find a way to release him. So Pilate tries to release Jesus. He says, once if you remember from last week, it is your custom that I release a prisoner to you at the Passover. Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? And of course, this is definitely a jab at the Jewish leaders because he was calling him the king of the Jews, even though they would deny it. I think Pilate was hoping that the crowd was more reasonable than the religious leaders. I'm sure that he had heard how popular Pilate was, I mean, how popular Jesus was among the populace. But the Jewish leaders were prepared and had the crowd, prepared the crowd to ask for Barabbas instead of Jesus. At this time, from the Gospel of Matthew, we also know that Pilate's wife sent a message to her husband. Don't have anything to do with that man. I, I had a nightmare, and I am deeply troubled by anything about him. So leave him alone. And so the unease of killing Jesus continues to grow. So... The appeasement begins. He wants to release Jesus, but he knows if he just simply releases Jesus, he's going to have a riot. And one thing he knows, that Rome, his, his masters, don't like riots where his governors govern. Rome did not even like governors who can't govern well enough to prevent riots. 
The Jewish leaders knew that they had power over Pilate in this instance to get him to do what they wanted. And so that brings us up to today's passage in John chapter 19, verses 1 through 11. John chapter 19, verses 1 through 11. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said, Behold the man. When the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. Now just take a moment in there as I, before I continue reading. With this statement, I think Pilate is trying to do two things. One, first, if they did as he suggested, it would absolve him of responsibility. He wouldn't be the one to be responsible for this man's death. Secondly, he dared the Jewish leaders to usurp the, the Roman authority. Rome is the only one that said, we're the only ones who can condemn anybody to death. We're the only ones who can crucify anybody. And if, he, if they had actually done as, they suggest, as Pilate suggested, he would have greater leverage over them. He could even bring punishment upon them. However, the Jewish leaders would not fall into that trap. Verse 7, the Jews answered him, we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Now, there are several things in this passage I could, have, I could focus on this morning, but I wanted to focus on this one question. Why did Jesus have, Pilate have Jesus flogged when he knew he had done nothing wrong? Why did he allow it to go even further than flogging? That is the question I think we need to consider. I believe it was an attempt to compromise, an attempt to appease those who brought Jesus to him. Yes, Pilate was the one who was in charge of the region, but the Jewish leaders could make his life miserable. So I believe that Having Jesus flogged and mocked was an attempt to placate them. It was a horrible thing to do. As to having someone scourged or flogged was a terrible, brutal thing and often resulted in their death. But Jesus, and as Jesus went through that, he would have been a bloodied mess. Now, in a minute, I'm going to share a picture and just kind of give you once again a picture of how bad it is. But from this flogging, he would likely die of an infection. Still, I believe it was a calculated move. Hopefully, the flogging would not kill Jesus, and they would be satisfied when they see a blood, the bloody Jesus standing before him. Maybe they would no longer see him as a threat. And so, show me the picture. Show the picture. He would have looked at least that horrible. 
All right, that's enough of that. Then the Jewish leaders revealed the real charge against Jesus. Nothing would stop them from their desires. Nothing would persuade them to do anything differently. We demand that he be put to death because he claims to be the Son of God. At this, Pilate knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that nothing would deter them from their goal. I'm sure that he knew enough about the Jewish religion, the Jewish faith, that this meant that they would stop at nothing short of having Jesus killed. He knew he had a choice, but it really wasn't a choice. His choice, it came down to Jesus had to die or Pilate's dream had to die. Pilate chose his own career over the life of Jesus. You see, if he hadn't put Jesus to death, there would have been a riot. And Rome did not like that. And so he chose appeasement over doing what was right. Is it possible that the reason for Pilate's choices are reflected in the choices we make today? Let's talk about appeasement. It all begins with fear. I don't think there's anybody here who has lived life without a fear of losing something important to them. Maybe it's a fear of their children, or maybe it's a fear of their comfort. Maybe it's all, I mean, our fears, we can have so many fears. Maybe we have a fear one time or another of losing our job, and because we have that fear, that, that possibility that if we say or do the right thing, we might lose our job. And so we make choices. We start making choices to preserve what we value most. And in trying to appease the Jewish leaders, Pilate was willing to torture and even kill a man he believed to be innocent. Last week we heard Pilate ask, what is truth? But Pilate really had no commitment to truth. Only when it was convenient for him. There was no real reason to execute Jesus. Pilate did the expedient thing and chose to compromise his conscience in order to protect himself. There was no doubt that Jesus would die. And we have the tendency today to look at Pilate with disdain. We, we look down him and with the attitude that we would never do such a thing. But I wonder how close to being like Pilate we are even today. How often do we face fear and let fear guide our actions, even if it's a very subtle fear that we barely acknowledge? Fear will lead us to compromise our faith in little ways. Eventually, those little ways will destroy any chance we might have as being seen as a disciple of Jesus that draws people to Christ. We compromise in order to hold on to things we hold dear in this life. We set boundaries between us and God to protect the things that are, are very precious to us. Like Gollum in the Lord of the Rings who would do anything to regain his precious ring. Things in this life sometimes hold, have a very strong hold on us. And we would never consider doing anything that might compromise and put them in danger. Sometimes we seek to appease people. Maybe it's our neighbors or our co-workers or people that we are in constant contact with. We do things in order to get along. And most of the time, the things that we compromise on are, 
are small. They're minor things. They really don't matter a whole lot. Really, they have no real other effect. No real major effect, no real, no real harm, no foul. But the problem is that we won't do anything that sometimes to stand for Christ. Now, if we're trying to appease people that we are in contact with, most time it is no problem. But what if that appeasement allows, it leads us to, to things that do have an effect on other people? Now, I have a lot of respect for police officers. I really do. So this next this is not a slam on the totality. I know, but there, however, we do know that there is a small minority of police officers who have done terrible things. Now, if in your act of appeasement affects other people, what I'm going to say, say you're a police officer and a well-connected officer that is treating a prisoner in a manner that you know goes way over the line. He beats him almost to death. And he sees you looking at what he's just done, and he warns you not to say anything. In fact, he insists that you back his story. And you know you don't want to get on his bad side because he is well-connected. He is close friends with the chief of police. However, if you don't do anything, you know that the abusive behavior will continue. However, to back the officer is to go against your duty to protect and to serve. What do you do? Your career could be in jeopardy. In such situations, you probably feel you would do the right thing, even knowing it would cost you your job. But honestly, being a whistleblower is rarely an easy decision because you, it is always, almost always costly. In doing the right thing, you could lose friends and any chance of advancement. What do you value most? Sometimes we just don't want to get involved in problems because it's too messy. One of the greatest examples in the modern age had to do with the German church leading up to World War II. As hatred for the Jews grew, many Christians knew it was wrong, but they kept silent because of fear of being arrested. But many did stand up for what was right, and they were arrested. I found two of the most common reasons that people... Lead, that leads people to compromise their faith is, one, there is the fear of rejection. The fear of being alone or pointed out from the crowd. We don't want to be thought of as, as a radical Christian, and so we kind of keep quiet about things. There's also the, the pressure to be tolerant of other people, and in our society today, you have to agree, in our society, there's becoming greater and greater pressure for the church to stay silent on what, sin is, what the Bible says sin is sin. The pressure is continuing to increase. We are called judgmental to say that sin is sin. But even pastors are not immune to this temptation of appeasement or compromise. Many have sought to appease some in the church who hold power. And in, in order to keep their job. Sometimes the wrong people are in control. In order to go against them. I know one pastor, he... He was hired by a church. He preached two messages, and they fired him. So it can be a real, and I know this man. I know he was a man of integrity. He wouldn't do anything or say anything I did, really disagreed with, but I just know he, they wouldn't listen to what he, what he believed God's word had to say. They wouldn't hear anything differently. The compromise comes sometimes when some pastors they see something bad happening, 
and they want to stop it, but to stop it is going to cause problems. Thankfully, that's not a major majority problem, but it has happened. Let me tell you a story. A long time ago in a small village, there, was a, there lived a powerful and demanding mayor. He was not only mayor, but he was the owner of the local factory. His name was Mr. Hargrove. Now, this is a preacher's story. It's nothing. There's no truth to this. All right? He liked being rich and enjoyed his influential status that he held in town. Everyone was afraid of him and wanted to be on his good side. Everyone knew that he could make or break their life, livelihoods with great ease. One day, a humble potter named Samuel crafted a magnificent hand-painted vase. It was a true work of art with intricate designs and vibrant colors. And Samuel had heard that, that Mr. Hargrove loved to create, create, sorry, collect rare and beautiful items. So he decided to present the vase to him as a gesture of goodwill. With the vase in his hands, Samuel approached Mr. Hargrove and he and Mr. Hargrove took the vase and he inspected it. And honestly, Mr. Hargrove was, in, was impressed because it really was beautiful. But he thought, I'm going to have a little fun with this man. And he said, you know what? This is a beautiful vase. And I really would love to have it, but it's, it could be better. He said, it would be better if you trimmed it with gold here and there. And it's like, so if you bring that back to me, I'll buy it. And so... Samuel, he goes back, he takes it, and he works in an intricate gold design into what he'd already created. And it was beautiful. And he brought it back to Mr. Hargrove, and Mr. Hargrove looked at the vase again, and he says, you know, this vase would look better if instead of red being the dominant color, if blue was the dominant color. And send him back again, and there goes the process. Mr. Hargrove was having fun at Samuel's expense. Samuel was desperate to appease Mr. Hargrove and obliged to once again spend many days repainting and doing the things that he'd hoped would finally meet his demands. But he always found something different. It's always something he wanted changed. And each time Samuel tried to appease him, as the demands became more unreasonable, the vase continued to diminish in beauty. This is what happens when the gospel we to the gospel. If we seek continually to appease the world around us, the beauty of God's grace is diminished. People don't like to be called sinners. They want us to call it an alternative lifestyle. People don't understand that their desires are sinful and don't like to be told so. We are so, sometimes we are so caught up in personal comfort and consumerism, even as Christians, we, we hesitate to do or say anything that would put our dreams in danger, so our voice is silenced. And, I, and as we were singing this morning, I appreciate what Steve saying. One of the songs was, two songs, one, but the, the last song we just ended up singing, it says, we pledge to let go of everything but you, God. Now, that's not exactly the words, but that was the gist of what it was said. How, do, how many of us truly say that and really mean it? That no matter what God demands of us, no matter what He wants, wants us to give away, we are willing to do for His sake, for His honor, for His glory. When it comes to evangelism, sometimes, many times, we are more content to stay in our churches and hope people will come to us 
instead of seeking ways to engage those around us. In doing so, the Ameri in doing things the American way, we are doing the, I'm asking, are we doing the things the way Jesus would have us to do? Well, I think so. But what did Jesus do? Did he stay in the synagogues? No, he went out on a mission. He met sinners where they lived and he ate with them. He got to know them. He offered them love and comfort where they're at. He didn't compromise his values. And he did not leave them in their sin. He challenged them to change. But he got to know them. He got to touch them one by one. By one. And if we're not seeking to appease other people, sometimes we're, we live a life where we're seeking to appease God. And I think this is perhaps one of the biggest challenges of the church. When we are focused on appeasing, appeasing people, or our, uh, we end up often with our conscience bothering us. We know things ought to be better. We don't know exactly what's wrong, but we know things ought to change a little bit. And so, as we begin to feel guilty, we either draw away from God or we seek to try to draw close enough to God just to get, just to get by. Perhaps we're feeling guilty about knowing going to church enough and not giving enough. And so we try to give a little bit more and try to attend a little bit more. We think perhaps maybe if I read the Bible a little bit more or if I, you know, if I just, you know, maybe all these feelings of guilt will go away. You see, the goal there is not to glorify God. The goal is to appease our conscience. And the problem is that type of relationship will not bring you any joy. It will not bring you any peace of mind. Because there is, God would have us to live life with a different goal, a different purpose. And so many times though our actions, if we look back and, and actually, and I've heard this challenge many, many times, look at your checkbook. Or your checking account. Now in today's world, most people don't even have checkbooks. I don't know. Last time I actually looked at my checkbook. I guess maybe paying my property taxes, I guess. I don't know. Once a year. But I certainly don't keep a balance. But I look at my checking account, right? How do you spend your money? It shows you what you value. Our actions sometimes reflect the thought, what can I do? What do I need to do to make God happy with me? Such a life is living with the purpose of seeking to appease God. We believe in God and how Jesus died to pay the price for our sin. We have just other priorities most of the time. We just don't see how living a life, the life that we live, does any real harm. But the book of James would say that such a faith is worthless. If we are not putting our faith into action, James says it is worthless. The attitude of trying to earn God's favor is a works-based religion. It leaves grace far behind. It shows us that we don't fully understand 
what God wants us to do. We lie to ourselves and say, well, at least we're not like Pilate. We wouldn't have anybody, innocent person killed. But honestly, look at what he did. He knew that Jesus should not die, but he was more concerned about keeping peace with Israel. He was more concerned with his career. This led to compromise and death of Jesus. We reason, at least we aren't like him, but really, such decisions can be summed up like this. My greatest priority is my interest. And it can be expressed like this. I will, and I think this summarizes what Pilate was like and what we are often like. I will not let my career or my dreams be derailed by a single Jewish prophet. It seems to me that this was Pilate's problem. Can you see how it is our problem as we live in this land of wealth? The scripture says over and over again, true belief in Jesus leads to repentance. True repentance means that we begin to see that we are stewards of all that God has given us. Our lives, that, the lives that we live and the resources that we enjoy, they are for use in God's kingdom. There are several ways we try to appease God. Try to make him happy. But in reality, that's no different than the pagan religions that try to make sacrifices to appease their gods. God doesn't want to be appeased. He wants your love. Sometimes we do things just because we feel guilty, as I said earlier. We know that things should be different, and, and we just try to do just enough good things so we no longer feel guilty. And I know what that's like because I've been there and sometimes I fall back into that trap until God reminds me I've fallen back into that trap. Such living proves that we don't fully understand sin and that we don't take hell seriously. Such living proves that we don't really appreciate the gift of salvation that we have been granted. Such living proves that we really don't love God more than we love ourselves. As a result, we continue to fail to live up to the standard of loving others as Christ loved us and continues to love us. The Bible tells us very clearly that God's heart is for people to, to be saved. So I ask you, whose salvation are you praying for? Who are you seeking to win to Christ? When was the last time you dared to share the gospel with anyone? Who are you discipling? What do you, and if you don't know anybody like that, then my next question is very important. What are you doing to get to know people who are non-believers? Is there anything structured into your life? And that's one thing I know about us. We all have structured lives. We have that tendency, right? I like routine. But structure something into your life that get, puts you in place where you get to know people that you know are not believers. Yes, we need to repent and change our attitude from I will not let my career be derailed by God 
to that of my greatest priority is God's interest. This thought can be expressed like this. I will not let my career or dream stand in the way of glorifying God. We ask ourselves, how can I honor the one who died for me? How can I glorify Jesus with, with each, each day that I live? We seek to take the great commandment very seriously, and that is to love God with the entirety of our being and to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. We remember the work of the Savior who died in our place. We change our attitude from how long do I need to pray to get what I want to how do I, how do I seek to live in, const, in the constant presence of God. We change our way of thinking from asking how much of the Bible do I need to read each day to asking how can I truly hear God as I read His Word, His living, active Word. So let's return to this story of Samuel that I began earlier. Samuel's patience was beginning to wear very thin and his savings had been exhausted in the pursuit of pleasing Mr. Hargrove. He knew that he was caught in an endless cycle of appeasement. He knew that he finally realized he would never be satisfied. So he decided he'd had enough. When he returned with the vase yet again, he stood firm and said, Mr. Hargrove, I've done everything you've asked, and I can't make any more changes to, the, to this vase. It is a work of art, and I won't continue to alter it according to your whims. At this, Mr. Hargrove was furious at being denied, and he flew into a rage, and he tossed the vase on the ground and broke it into thousands of pieces. Yes, Samuel's defiance, standing up for himself, it finally had cost him. But in that cost, he found something that he had lost. He found the respect of the villager who had been watching the whole process going out. Word of what he'd been going through had gotten out, and those, when he stood up to Mr. Hargrove, they began to respect him. And they said, if he can do it, we can do it too. And the, whole, the nature of the whole village changed because he was willing in the end to stand up for himself and what he knew to be right. I say we need to let our stance for our genuine faith in Christ become a beacon that rallies others to the, to the church, to Jesus Christ, and to the mission of Christ. You say, well, maybe the whole church isn't doing that, but let your life be an example that challenges other people to grow in faith as well. Have you ever been around somebody and you feel like they, are, they have something in their walk with Christ that you would like to have that too? I have been around people like that, and I, and I, I know it's because they spend time in the presence of God on a regular basis. And then we need to have such a life with God that when we're out and we're talking to other people, they may reject the message that we bring them. But they know there's something positive and good about what we're saying, even if they're not willing to accept it. We need to stand for what is right. We need to stand with our lives in, with the purpose of glorifying God in all that we do and all that, all that we say and all the resources that are at our disposal. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. 
We thank you for this day, and we thank you most of all for your grace. Your grace is amazing. Your, the suffering that you endured on our behalf. You paid the price for something we could never pay. You, you ensured that we could spend eternity with you in heaven and then come be resurrected in the, in the end of the age. Lord, you give us so much, and because of what you gave us, you gave us hope for the future. In the midst of darkness, in the midst of problems, in the midst of when things are just falling apart, you have made it so that we can live life with hope in the midst of problems and darkness and all kinds of issues around us. Help us to take that message to other people. Help us to live a life that glorifies you and help us to adopt your values so that we will glorify you in all that you are. Bless us in your name.